Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible you thought you knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. In this week's podcast, we will treat a story featuring Ahaziah, king of Israel, and Elijah, the prophet. Ahaziah is not well known. However, Elijah is one of the most famous of the prophets. Typically, the stories in which Elijah has a role are somewhat bizarre, often disturbing, but always intriguing. This story, narrated in 2 Kings 1, is no exception. Ahaziah, of course, succeeded the infamous King Ahab of Israel, or sometimes it's called Samaria. This is how the northern kingdom in Israel was usually designated. As the account begins, we learn that Moab had just rebelled against Israel. That's in verse 1. This means that Moab had been a vassal state to Israel and was therefore paying tribute on a regular basis. Rebellion meant that Moab had refused to continue those payments. Unfortunately for King Ahaziah, he could not deal with this political crisis since he had just fallen through a lattice in an upper room of his residence. Because of this fall, he had taken ill and was bedfast. As he lay ill, Ahaziah wanted to find out what his prognosis was, so he sent messengers to inquire of the deity Baalzevuv, the god of Ekron. Ekron is a Philistine city. Conspicuously, Ahaziah did not bother to send messengers to the Israelite deity. As I mentioned, Ekron was a Philistine city. The name of the deity used here is somewhat satirical in that it means the Lord of the Flies. The proper name is Baal-Zavul, meaning either Lord of the Divine Abode or Baal the Prince. The narrator, writing from Israel's perspective, maintains this satirical name throughout the story. In any case, Ahaziah sent messengers to learn from this deity whether he would recover from his illness. That's in verse 2. Of course, Ahaziah's mother was the infamous Jezebel, whose name has the god Baal in it. The apple did not fall far from the tree. Ahaziah, like his mother, had no trouble in consulting Baal in one of his guises. An angel of the Israelite deity, however, was privy to what the king had just ordered. In response, the angel spoke to Elijah. The angel wanted Elijah to meet the messengers that the king was sending to Ekron and to ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzavuv, the god of Ekron? Then Elijah was to give Ahaziah a verdict, namely, that he would not get out of bed, but instead would by all means die. 
Elijah heard these orders and obeyed. That's in verses 3 and 4. Once the messengers heard what Elijah had to say, they returned to Ahaziah. The king wanted to know why the messengers had returned, presumably early. That's in verse 5. They told Ahaziah that they had run into a man who had told them to return and asked the king whether it was because there was no God in Israel that he was inquiring of Baalzevuv, Ekron's god. The messengers went on to tell the king that the man said that he, namely the king, would not recover, but would most certainly die. That's in verse 6. Ahaziah then asked the messengers what kind of a man it was who said these things. That's in verse 7. The messengers responded that the man wore a haircloth garment with a leather belt around him. Immediately, Ahaziah realized the clothing identified none other than Elijah the Tishbite. That's in verse 8. In order to deal with this terrible news, King Ahaziah sent to Elijah a captain of 50 men. These men found Elijah sitting on the top of a hill. They said to him, O man of God, a common way to designate a prophet, the king says, come down. That's in verse 9. Almost surely, the captain and the 50 men were supposed to intimidate Elijah. Plus, the king through them had issued a direct order. But Elijah was undaunted. He noted that if he were a man of God, that is, a prophet, that would be confirmed by fire fire coming down from heaven and consuming this whole delegation. And that is exactly what happened. That's in verse 10. But Ahaziah did not admit defeat. Instead, he sent a captain with a second group of 50 men. That's in verse 11. Once again, Elijah is made aware of the king's order. Only this time, Elijah is told to come down quickly. That's in verse 11. Elijah, though, doubles down on his response. He says that if he is indeed a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume the whole delegation. Once again, this is what happens. That's in verse 12. King Ahaziah is nothing if not persistent. He sends another captain with another platoon of 50. That's in verse 13. This time, though, the captain does not try to intimidate, but rather to beg Elijah for mercy. The captain desperately asks the prophet to regard his and his men's lives as precious. He was quite aware of the two previous times when fire had come down and consumed the two other groups. At this point, the angel of the Lord told Elijah to respond to the captain by going with him to see Ahaziah. Elijah was not to be afraid. That's in verse 15. As a result, Elijah went to sing King Azariah. When he was in the presence of the stricken man, he simply repeated what he had said to the initial messengers who had been on the way to require of Baal Zavub, 
in Ekron. Because the king had ignored the Israelite god, and because he had sought another god, he needed to know that he would not recover, but he would die. That's in verse 16. After Elijah had said his peace, the king died. The narrator makes sure that we realize that this death was a direct response to what Elijah had said. That's in verse 17. Jehoram, presumably Ahaziah's brother, took the throne of Israel afterwards. This was because Ahaziah had no son. According to a common dating formula, this took place when Jehoram ben Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Biblical names are sometimes confusing, confusing, something that is made even more difficult when kings with the same name rule basically at the same time. The formula ends with the notation that the rest of the of Ahaziah's acts are recorded in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, a work that is not to be confused with the canonical book of Chronicles. What should we make of this story? At one level, it is a simple morality tale that addresses the problems that Israelites are likely to have when consulting other gods beside the God who elected them. Of course, an orthodox Israelite belief is that there are no other gods to consult. There is only one God, the God who called Abraham and Sarah, was involved in the lives of the ancestors, and who eventually freed Israel from Egypt and made a covenant with them. Any Israelite, not to mention an Israelite king, who violates such a fundamental belief should expect to get into a heap of trouble with God and with God's prophets. Azariah's difficulties and ultimate judgment in this episode was completely predictable. At another level, there are troubling aspects of this story that are difficult to appropriate for our setting. For example, we find abhorrent the idea that heresy even believing in other gods or no gods at all, justifies divine judgment, even if that judgment is not in the form of fire coming down from heaven. Plus, the king's messengers were the victims of the judgment, while the king who sent these hapless people remained alive. Plus, are we to accept this story as somehow historical? That is, did fire indeed fall from the sky? To be sure, fire is often emblematic of divine presence in the Bible, even dangerous divine presence. At the same time, it is hard not to see this story as metaphorical. Still, even at the level of metaphor, this episode is a stark perspective on divine judgment. Perhaps we need to come at this story from a different angle. The chapter begins with the notation that Moab had rebelled against Israel. That is an issue most certainly in an Israelite king's purview. But King Azariah paid no attention whatsoever to an issue on his desk demanding attention. Instead, the king is only concerned, if not absorbed, 
about his own health because he had fallen. We are never told the extent of his injuries. Nevertheless, Azariah sees them as potentially life-threatening. He is principally worried about whether he will eventually get out of bed. For that reason, he sends messengers to a god beside the Israelite god. Upon learning that he had made an awful mistake, something of which Elijah made him aware, pointing out that as a matter of fact he would not recover, Azariah doubled down in his efforts to consult Baal-zavuv. He sent three groups of fifty, even though the first two groups had been struck down by the fire from heaven. Only the captain of the third group of fifty had the sense to beg for mercy, something that Azariah might have done from the outset. Azariah was inordinately consumed by his own needs and completely reckless with regard to others, many others in his employ. His attempt to consult with the god of Ekron was born of hubris, stubbornness, impulsivity, and a refusal to pay any attention to Elijah. His disregard of Elijah is especially arrogant since he knew at once from the messenger's description that the man who denounced him was not just any old prophet, but the great Elijah. At the end of the day, this story features an Israelite king and an Israelite prophet squaring off against each other. The king figured he had all the power in the world and therefore was not going to heed any prophetic statement. The prophet had unconventional power in the form of fire from heaven and a word from God, and that had no difficulty in neutralizing 100 royal messengers. The third group escaped harm by the skin of their teeth by begging for mercy. Any contemporary application of this story would have to apply it in a situation in which raw political power, conventional power, metaphorically speaking, political power, confronts moral authority, unconventional power, metaphorically speaking. According to this story, at least, once in a while, the unconventional power succeeds. Let me encourage you to go to my website, faspina.com. Let me know what your email is so that I'll have a way of contacting you later on. If you want to have me ask a, answer a question uh, in a Q&A session, email me at fspina106 at gmail.com. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review, ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, 
listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.